Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club, and this is your show. With another season around the corner, we're back for another year of Blue Moon Podcasts. So take the phone off the hook. Does anyone do that anymore, actually? Put it on Do Not Disturb or whatever. I've not got a landline these days. Grab yourself a brew and a biscuit, block in a meeting in your diary, and mark yourself as busy on Teams. We've got a lot to catch up on. On today's show, we're going to reflect on pre-season, as it's taken a bit of a different complexion this year, with close to home friendlies and a lot of youngsters involved. And we're going to look at the big transfer news as well. As we record, it looks like Jack Grealish is on the verge of joining. He's probably already joined or signed a new deal at Villa by the time that you hear this. Meanwhile, Harry Kane is kicking up a fuss at Spurs as well. We'll get into all of that shortly. Gary James is speaking to the former City winger Peter Barnes as part of the launch for his new book. Plus, as the Olympics comes to an end in Tokyo, we'll be looking at a former City player who won a gold medal in a sport that wasn't football. All will become clear. With the Community Shield against Leicester to preview as well, let's get cracking for the new season. I'm David Mooney. I'm joined by City fans Howard Hocking. Hello. And Kieran Murray. How's it going, Blue? Not too bad, thank you. Um, have you had a good summer, Howard? Uh, no, is the yeah. answer then, by the sound of it. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking about the whole situation in the world, to be honest, above uh, my own personal experience. Uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed the moment the season ended for City, in a way, because I, I was ready for a break. And the Euros was a nice relaxation a relaxing way to watch football without the stress but with England getting to the final it actually turned out to be a bit more stressful than I realised in the end So, yeah. but it was still less stressful than watching City at home over the previous year so yeah it's been alright yeah. even enjoying the Olympics quite a lot as well So, yeah, Kieran uh, as a proud Irishman you must have been delighted that England didn't win that final way <laughs> no comment David <laughs> <laughs> No, there's a few good city players, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. No, I watched it. I was uh, I was trying to be as neutral as possible, just because there's a few solid blues playing for the uh, for the England setup, isn't there? And it was nice to see Mancini lift the trophy. So I was I was very neutral. Sorry for sitting on the fence with that answer. Yeah, well, uh, well, yeah, we'll uh, we'll get back to that a bit later on. Um, let's start with uh, we'll talk through some of the headlines from the summer. Um, as we mentioned in the introduction, there, Jack Grealish is uh, as as we record is poised to sign. In fact, all that 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 seems to have not happened yet is the promotional video saying that he's signed. So that might happen during the course of the recording. We don't know. Um, Kieran, let's start with you. Where where do you think he he fits in at City, uh, Grealish? Because it's it's hard to to not deny that that City have quite an abundance of attacking midfielders right now. Yeah, um, I think it'll just be another one of our armory in attack. Um, I think I personally think he's a great signer, and I've always really liked him. I've got um, really good Villa friends who've always rated him, even you know even in his early st- stages of his career. Um, and yeah, where he fits in at City, he just he's really silky and uh, skillful on the ball. Uh, he operates in tight spaces. Um, lots of the things you've read about 
his sort of stats and graphs seem to suggest that he does a lot of what Pep likes. Uh, he carries the ball well. He brings the ball into the box a lot. He makes key passes, uh, picks up a lot of assists, has a good eye for goal as well. Um, I mean, you don't really like to do it, but you can see aspects of his game that are similar to what David Silva did for us. Um, obviously, it, you know, Silva, in my opinion, is the best player to ever pull on a blue shirt. So, I mean, I'm not comparing him that way, but he does offer some of those things. I mean, when you're basically playing against um, tightly packed defences and lots and lots of legs in the box. I've seen Jack Grealish's um, touch and ability to get round and, and get past those um, those lines of defence that are well packed with a low block. Um, so yeah, I mean, I can. I think the transfer. I mean, we'll get onto the fee and things, but I think the transfer on paper for what he brings and where he fits in really makes a lot of sense to City. Yeah, I'm not going to lie, Kieran. I wasn't really listening to what you were saying then because I spent too long thinking if I'd used too many double negatives in that question. Uh, <laughs> I think you said, yeah, something like you can't not deny. You can't not something. deny, yeah. yeah. And I, I was trying to work out what that actually means. <laughs> you threw me on my toes there, to be fair. Yeah. Um, Howard, uh, just as, as as Kieran mentioned there, in terms of working in those tight spaces, uh, that's, that is one thing that City have for quite a few seasons, had problems sometimes breaking through a low block and a, and a packed defence. Uh, the one thing Grealish does that, that a lot of City players don't do right now is carry the ball a bit more, doesn't he? Yeah, that's in, exactly. As soon as he gets it, he wants to drive forward. Uh, and he's not an identical player to Phil Foden, but just reminds me of him. And it's just a GC player, really. And it, it's not just him coming that excites me. It's the thought that him, Phil Foden and Kevin De Bruyne could be on the same pitch. It's just an electrifying thought for me. So, you know, all of those are difference-making players who want to carry the ball forward and make a difference. You've got all three of them running at you as a defender. You'd be absolutely petrified. So I think just putting him into what we already have is just such an exciting feeling, to be honest. However, I'm not sure that we needed this player and it may be a subsequent question you're going to ask about how he fits into the squad itself and where he plays on the pitch because for me I think it does signify that someone's leaving as well but just on the on the transfer itself yeah I know we we score loads of goals so, <laughs> I mean we're the top scorers in the league as I've said and yet sometimes it still feels as though we really struggle to break down opposition teams and opposition teams no, you know, if they play defensive, they do a low block, it can really work against City. He's the sort of difference maker that will just take us on to yet another level. Yeah, as Kira mentioned, though, it's uh, it's a reported one hundred million. It's it's far more than City have ever paid before. Um, does that bother you, Howard? Uh, no, not really. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, that's a bit of a lie. I do look at the finances. I do think I I do feel better when City make sales as well to pay for stuff. I, mean, I shouldn't. do not matter. They're earning lots of money. They're, they've been in the Champions League every season, I don't know, 11 years or something, and they're the only English side to do that. They've obviously won numerous titles. They absolutely cleaned it in from TV money and from being successful. So if they want to spend that money, they can do it however they want to. I'd still prefer it was £50 million, but if that's the price that Villa were prepared to sell at, then we have a... Pay 100 million, and I've heard people say it's 75 plus add ons, so we'll know more in the next couple of days. 
you either pay 100 million or it doesn't come. Now, City have walked away from plenty in the past because of that. They're not prepared to. But I don't mind them just in one summer saying, look, we have to be aggressive now and just pay whatever it takes to get our two primary targets. But they will do that and make at least £100 million back, I think, in sales. And that does make me feel a lot more comfortable about it. Yeah, and I do. I read somewhere, I, I, I'm not sure how accurate it is and how accurate my memory of this is, but uh, I read somewhere that the prize money alone for last season more than covers what, what they're looking to pay this summer anyway. Mm. Um Kieran, what what have you made to the reaction of all this? Of you know both the fee and the move. Uh, well, I can't not deny that it's left me a little <laughs> bit confused. To be honest with you, <laughs> um, no, the, the the reaction has been strange. Um, I mean, tra- as transfer sagas go, the fun of that and being being a sort of active Twitter user during a transfer saga it is not as much fun as it used to be. Um, I used to get giddy over transfers and I used to like really get excited and I used to love reading like BBC gossip pages or I always remember reading like teletext every day of the summer and then uh, suddenly Sven had bought six players and you know things like <laughs> that. Like, I, I always remember those days and just really loving transfers and wondering who we were linked with. But I mean, this has rumbled on, this and the Kane stuff has rumbled on for far too long and then Twitter is just a very negative place around it as well. You've got you've got people sort of stating that they know stuff and that they're in the know and that they've talked to certain people, but they're not giving away what they know. And and then yesterday, like I remember the uh, the CAS verdict last summer and being, I almost felt like punch drunk all day about it because I was so happy that we that we'd beaten that verdict and and it was a really celebratory day on Twitter, but it felt a little bit like. People were just going after Villa fans yesterday a little bit and kind of like, I, I don't know if they were, I don't know if that was the right kind of thing. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm, I feel really delighted that we've got, that it looks as if we've got Grealish, but I don't know if it was a cause for triumphant mockery, kind of like I saw, you know, that sort of reaction. Um, I mean, I, I don't want to be the, I don't want to be the fun police and I don't want to be Buzz Kellington here, like, but, um, just for me, transfers aren't the exciting kind of giddiness that they once were. It's just like it rumbles on, rumbles on, rumbles on. Everybody's got a kind of hot take about it. Everybody's saying, oh, I've heard this rumour of it's looking good, it's looking good. And it's just like, I mean, City are a very wealthy team. It's been an open secret that like it looks as if Grealish wants to come. Um, it, it seemed as if, you know, all, all it, it seemed as if the green light was on for most of the summer. And... The celebrating not it felt a little bit David like people were celebrating getting one over on Villa fans as opposed to getting a great player to play for the Blues do you know what I mean I know and what I'm, you mean I'm, I'm not sure just I'm still not over Esco snubbing us though that's where it really come out <laughs> of like that whole that whole saga that summer for him to say no then um, but I mean it, it would be like if City hadn't got taken over and Foden came up through our ranks I mean, he probably wouldn't be with us still. Do you know, somebody would have came and snapped him up. It's, I mean, like it's like the Wright Phillips stuff. I, I remember being truly gutted when he left. And, you know, if City weren't in the financial position that we're in now, somebody probably would come in for our best academy starlets, you know. And it, it, it's, it's probably quite tough for Villa fans to take. And yeah. um, that, I, don't that's exactly... big, I don't want us to be the big bad wolf enemies, 
you know, even though we kind of are in a lot of people's eyes, but, you know, we are adding fuel to the fire and I'm not sure how comfortable I feel with it just. Can I just say it depends who you're mocking in a way. There's no, I would never be, I would never mock another fan base for taking a player off them. Unless yeah. it's United, obviously. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah that's different. <laughs> I think it. I think it all changed was the actions of a few Villa fans on Twitter. But again, the caveat: that's just a few fans on Twitter. There mm. are hundreds of thousands of Villa fans, and you know, seeing some the delusion, I think, was what needed to be mocked. There were quite a few people on Twitter, Villa, big accounts, and little and all sorts, who absolutely could not comprehend that he was leaving for City. Couldn't comprehend that he'd want to or whatever. And I think, uh, I'm not sure derision or mocking is the right word, but that I can understand why you'd uh, get involved with the, you know, the, the yeah. tit for tat debates. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but you should, we shouldn't mock the whole fan base because we've taken one of their best players. That's just bang out of order. But there's certain individuals, as always, for any fan base, that always deserve it back in the face sometimes on on social media. But, you know, that's just a few people, is it not? And it's, yeah. you know, sure, like, for, Aston Villa fans are right to be absolutely gutted that they're losing Jack Grealish, but it was the other side that they couldn't comprehend he'd leave that really you know, baffled me and what people got involved with. And with Sean Mike Phillips, I think we were all gutted that he went to Chelsea, but we understood it. I know it's not identical because we, that £21 million for Sean Mike Phillips probably saved a club from going into administration. Aston Villa are on the up, but they're not. In the way modern football works, there's still a long way from you know, challenging for league titles. So it's not quite the same as when Sean McFitts left for us because he had to go in a way. But, and I understand why Villa fans are upset, but surely they should be able to understand why Jack Grealish would want to move to Manchester City. Yeah, there's, uh, you mentioned it before, Howard, as well, in terms of, of, of player sales. Um, do, do you take the, the fact that, that City have, have, have put this money into the transfer and they've gone and got Jack Grealish, that there's an indication that there's something in the Bernardo Silva to Atletico Madrid rumour? Yeah, absolutely. I'll be honest, I've wanted Jack Grealish for a long time because I always thought he was destined to go to United for some reason. Just felt like that was where he would go and I felt that him in the United side would make them infinitely better. Uh, so I'm glad we've got him. But I'll be honest, it, I don't want City to have brought in Jack Grealish on top of our existing squad because we just don't need that. We, you know, if, that, if we're honestly not getting rid of any players, then we should have just put our entire pot into Harry Kane because that's the priority. I think it does mean that we're expecting Bernardo Silva to go. Uh, it makes sense that he's here to replace someone who's going out, even if they're not identical players. But I do wonder who on earth is going to pay the money we want for Bernardo Silva. And my concern is that we can't get rid of him. Not that I, not that I ever wanted him to go, but now that Grealish is here, he kind of has to. Because I think it is a bit bloated, the squad otherwise. And if he wants to go, then we're probably better letting him, even though I love the guy. Uh, but I do wonder who could afford him. And my other concern is that he does go. We get ripped off again in the transfer market and let him go for peanuts. So... But I think, yes, I think the two have to be linked. So I don't think there was this huge desire to get Jack Grealish in to consolidate an existing squad. So the other big transfer saga of the summer, if it has been a saga, I'm not really sure if there's uh, if there's been a saga around this one or not yet, but uh, this was City's interest in Tottenham striker Harry Kane. Uh, let's bring in the Daily Telegraph's Mike McGrath, who's been following this one. Um, Mike, ca- ca- can we call this a saga now? He's missed training and stuff. It's a saga, isn't it? 
Oh, absolutely. I think from I think it was probably a saga from when he stepped on the golf course um, with Gary Neville and kind of declared himself to be uh, kind of ready to speak to Daniel Levy about uh, about moving away from Spurs and. And then obviously, I, th- I think they did it in two parts, didn't they? The, the, they released the, the interview and in the second part. Then he was just so specific about how he wanted to play with Kevin De Bruyne and City were kind of the ideal place that he saw himself. Um, so from that moment onwards, which was pre, obviously pre-Euros, I think, uh, in, in terms of definition of transfer saga in you know, the football lexicon, it definitely, definitely is one of those. Yeah. So, what's what's the latest with the story then so far? What 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 do we know has happened, and what 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 kind of do you expect to happen now? Yeah. So, so we we knew that he was uh, due back this week at Tottenham uh, for some COVID testing before starting pre-season. A little bit later than the rest of the squad, due to him being um, at the latter stages of the European Championships with England, um, and he didn't show up uh, on. Monday, which we didn't expect, um, and didn't show up on Tuesday. It was still so. What my information was that Spurs actually uh, not only expected him, uh, that, but then they had to then do a drug whereabouts uh, test, which is kind of, which is what all clubs have to do for their players, uh, you know, with WADA or uh, the, the drug testers, uh, and so they had to find out where Harry Kane was. And he was still in the Bahamas. Uh, on holiday, not intending to return to training as planned, and then he has he's making his way back uh, via Florida. Uh, but that trip back means uh, he's not going to be uh, available for training until next week, um, when uh, after a small amount of quarantine and test to release, etc., which effectively uh, rules him out of the Manchester City game, which obviously. Was it would have been against the team that he wants to join, or possibly against the team that he used to play for if he got his wish and moved to Manchester City. So that's the state of play at the moment. Yeah, Kieran, it sounds like uh, you know when when teachers are uh, are dreading uh, the start of term, so they book a flight back the day before term starts and then hope it gets delayed. Are you aiming that at me as a teacher? Yeah, I am. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what happens. It's very familiar. I can really empathise with Harry Kane there, David. <laughs> yeah, uh, Mike. Uh, just looking at the the finances around all of this as well, because obviously, um, as we keep saying on this show so far, you know, City haven't announced Jack Grealish yet. They might do it while we're recording, um, but uh, it's looking like a hundred million for for Grealish. Can they then afford the money that that, that Spurs will want for Kane? Uh, well, I what we've been hearing. Um, through, you know, through the summer, is that it's both, and it's not, um, and it's not just one. That's their intentions, anyway. Whether whether City can do that is another story. Um, in terms of finances, I, do, I I don't see that as being like the main the, the main the main obstacle is going to be Daniel Levy um, rather than City being able to afford it. And also, I just think that this is post COVID and and post CAS as well for City. Um, I just think FFP is kind of almost at the back burner in terms of people's focus. I don't think that there's going to be a massive, um, uh, I don't think there'll be an inquest into balancing the books or anything like that. And obviously we know City are one of uh, a small amount of clubs to to be able to afford Harry Kane. So I, I, I think the biggest obstacle would, would be uh, the man in charge at 
Tottenham who who signs off the deals, and that's Daniel Levy. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned City Spurs on the opening weekend as well. I mean, will Levy have that in his mind too? Um, I do. I. I, I do think that that would obviously be... I think that's been in, in the mind of everybody since uh, the fixtures came out. Um, it would be a huge embarrassment to, to Spurs if they, if they lost their, their talisman um, to, to you know, a, a rival, you know, or, or they, they'd like to be a title rival uh, to another club in England um, on, and then having to face him again uh, in the first game back of the season, so I, that's why it doesn't really look like that's going to happen. And it does look like you used the word saga earlier. It does look like it's going to drag on um, into those final two weeks of the of the window when clubs have uh, already started the season. Yeah, I mean the, the other side of all of this as well. Um, you know, we've we've talked about uh, the, the the whole process of getting him to uh, City. I mean, you, you said before about him being pretty obvious about that he wants to play at City. There's nobody else in in this transfer option for him, is there? It's either City or Spurs next season for him. Uh, yeah, I, I've not I, I've not heard of anybody um, coming in with uh, to to rival um, what Manchester City want to do. I think. Like I said, there's not very many people that can actually, there are not many clubs that can actually afford, um, you know, a, a package to get Harry Kane and and pay him um, adequately. Uh, and you, you just, uh, you, well, I certainly haven't heard that uh, Manchester United are, are going to go for him um, at the moment, or, or any any of the Spanish clubs, um, which are which are in that little clutch of people that can afford him. Um, so I think it would be it would be City, and I think with what you know, he was so pointed with what he said um, on that golf course as well. It just the, the information all kind of points towards him being focused on on wearing a City shirt and whether that's possible for him to do this season. Yeah. Final uh, final question then, Mike. Where do you think this all ends up? Do you think he signs for City before the window closes? Uh, my personal opinion is. Um, is that I think he'll I think he'll stay at Spurs for at least one more season. Just from the way that it's been dealt with, I think he's actually it would anger and maybe make Daniel Levy even more stubborn. Um, I think the light at the end of the tunnel for City would be making you know making a bid and seeing how Daniel Levy reacts because it's been a really tough financial period of time for all clubs and Spurs were among the clubs that took out a big loan from the Bank of England um, during the first lockdown uh, due to the pandemic. Um, they've got that on a on a low interest payback, but they did have to take a big, big loan out. They were forecasting losses. So you just never know if, if, you, if you put a big bid on the table, how people might react. But certainly at the moment, you're hearing... Um, the information is that Daniel Levy's uh, stubbornly refusing to sell uh, his his best player. Mike McGrath from the Daily Telegraph. Howard, this is uh, this is a, a kind of a real big deal for City, the the, the, the kind of striker position, because obviously they went all pretty much all of last season without Aguero. They're going into this season at the moment with only Jesus as the as the centre forward option. Um, Mike was saying there that he that he expects Kane to still be at Spurs for this season. How how would that make you feel? Would it, does City need to go out and get a striker this summer? <laughs> I think part of the problem is it's Kane or bust. So 
you know, it really is the case that Harry Kane comes to Manchester City play, or we do what we did last year. But I think, that, yeah, I'd, I'd be very disappointed. I always thought that we had to get a striker this summer. Uh, and I do, I think there's a feeling around the club, you know, the executive level or whatever, that what Cardiola pulled off last season was miraculous in a way. That, you know, we got so close to winning everything without really playing a striker the whole season. And there can't be much desire to have to do it again. Uh, it's not the end of the world now, is it? We were the top scorers in the league, I think, last season. Uh, we scored well over 100 goals again. So if we have to, then they'll go again without a striker. I'm sure we'll still score plenty of goals. And it brings Haaland into the equation next summer. Maybe. I don't know uh, what's going on behind the scenes. Because I, I do feel, Harry Kane, it's this summer or never for City. Yeah. Unless there's some bargain deals to be had next summer for some reason. So, yeah, for me, I just, I knew it wouldn't be easy to get Harry Kane, but I really thought that eventually, because it was such a huge priority now that Aguero's gone, that it would have got done by now. So, I mean, I don't know the odds of him coming to City, but it, it could backfire for, for, Spurs, to be honest, Levy, I, th- I think it's a bit of a myth about Levy being this amazing negotiator. Because if Kane does eventually come to City late in the window, then Spurs have got the money and not got the time to spend it. So, uh, yeah, I would be very disappointed if Harry Kane doesn't come, to be honest. And I think it puts us at a disadvantage for next season because a striker was always a number one priority. Yeah, I mean, the, the other side of this, Kieran, if City go into the season without a striker, this, this coming season is not going to be played in the same conditions as last season was. Maybe last season it was helped for City because ultimately, behind closed doors, it's two teams against each other that, you know, it, it's laboratory conditions, as we kept saying. There was no outside influence from the crowd. That could be the 10 or 12% for the opposition, in away games especially, that just makes it a bit harder for City to score next season. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, our away record was pretty flawless last season, if I recall correctly. Um, and so much of that was just sucking the emotion out of it. Um, and on paper, we just had enough in the tank. And with this false nine system that Pep deployed last year, uh, it really worked. But with out with fans in the ground and with that kind of panic setting in of not scoring, the patient play kind of goes out a little bit. Um and without a recognised striker, it just, yeah, I, I mean, I, I really loved hearing from Mike there and I'm glad you got him on the show. But suddenly it's put the shits up me because, you know, him saying that he, in his mind, sees Kane staying. I can't stop thinking about Guardiola with tears in his eyes and, you know, talk, saying we cannot replace Aguero, we cannot replace Aguero. I mean... Now do we take that at face value? Like, are we literally are we literally not replacing him? Um, and Aguero and what he brought and what he could do, and he was still scoring goals at the end of the season. Um, letting him go for free without an absolute ironclad replacement that we were, you know, kind of verified as a fact that we were definitely getting. That could seem like a huge misstep now if this doesn't come off. 
Yeah, well, uh, we'll, uh, we'll we'll keep up to date with this story because it's going to keep uh, keep rumbling on uh, through the rest of the transfer window. Uh, but for now, it's time to move on. And it's been a bit of a strange pre-season this year. COVID restrictions have led to more of an old-school approach to friendlies with ties against Preston, Barnsley and Blackpool. Most of the first team have been on holiday too, having been involved in international tournaments this summer. I've been speaking to our EDS expert, Sean Blinkhorn, to get a view of how close to the first team some of the youngsters who have been filling in could be. Well, everyone gets a bit excited, don't they? in pre-season you find that players that you may have never seen ever before are suddenly on the page in front of you and you think to yourself well this is this this player has all the talent in the world who knows I mean <laughs> it, it's it's always good to watch every year but if you think back to Premier League invitational trophies over the years and the players that have starred and and then what that has then gone on to represent for them in terms of first team minutes over the course of the season hasn't really bit you know the correlation isn't really there but that said it's still great to to for these uh, kids to have a chance on this sort of stage and in front of this manager yeah um I, of course you know a lot of people have been talking about um there's this phrase that goes around the winners of pre-season uh you know the the, the yeah. players that have that have really done well out of pre-season uh, and the name on everybody's lips is uh, Samuel Odozi um mm. wh- where do you think he is in terms of of city in the first team well I, I, if you were going to pick a winner of pre-season it would definitely be him wouldn't it i mean what is it three goals in the four goals in the three games three goals in the three games whatever it is um yeah, I mean, he had an under twenty three side last year packed with with talent. He was okay. He was okay. You know, he, he contributed here and there. His 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 numbers weren't astronomical, um, and his performances were okay on a, in a variety of different positions. Uh, both we can play on both flanks. He's got he's got he's probably. You know, you remember when remember when the um, tricky players first started coming through, and it was basically players that would do forty step overs and go around the player. He's he's kind of that type of uh, of player to the eye. Uh, obviously, there's a lot more to him than that. But just to give you a you know a, a vague example of him, the sort though, the sort of ones you, know, you want to kick what, at Power League, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Booted into the stands at Hardwick. Yeah, um, yeah. No, it, it's that sort of thing, but. Um, he obviously there's a lot more to him than that, and and things can change over from season to season. He, he does look like he's suddenly um, come into his own a, a bit more. What what I'm trying to say is he was a bit quieter in a side pack with stars last year. Um, he's obviously a very talent, very talented boy. Um, we'll let, see where his his future is so far. But I th- my my initial thoughts at the moment are that he might be one of those who stand out in pre season. And then you know find themselves alone. Um, I hope he kicks on from here because he's had a he's had a great month or so. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm a little the jury's still out for for me on uh, how high his ceiling is at the moment personally. Yeah, I mean, last season as well, um, we'll come on to Liam Delap shortly, but uh, there was obviously Cole Palmer was involved in some of the first team games in the League Cup at the start of the season. Um, he's another yeah. one who's who's been involved in pre-season. Um, has, has he stepped up a bit from last year as well? Hard to say on, on, on those sort of showings. I mean, the best example we're going to get of that is not just him being involved around the first team pitcher as he was last year, probably more than any other name that we could mention in this list. 
actually getting we've talked about it a million times haven't we but actually getting those minutes into the into the new season how how much does this manager trust to call Palmer I think he's I think he's a top little player he's you know he's the in terms of the adversity in if you want to use that quite strong word in, that he's overcome uh, being held back a year in a, in essence when you know you, you come into your, the under 18s you sign your scholarship you don't usually then at City get held back a year if you know and then continue to play under 18s if you're going to be up to much scratch he was but he's kicked on massively since then I suppose he was is a bit of a, a late bloomer in that sense but you know we, we saw him fits and starts last year how good he could be he was good when he played for the under 23s in fact to be honest he was streets ahead of anybody in truth other than somebody we're going to come on to in a <laughs> bit um so it's you just don't know how some of these players are going to react when it comes to first team football. I've, I've, I've got everything crossed that he'll get to the minutes and he's, he he begins to sparkle like he did at the academy stadium last season. Yeah. Now um, there's a there's a kind of running joke between uh, me and you about uh, how much you value uh, the input in this uh, in the in the youngsters from uh, James McAtee. Um, <laughs> where where are we at with him? <laughs> oh, David, I could. How long have we got? I could talk about <laughs> it. Like, I know heaping. I mean, I mean, who the hell am I? He's, he's not going to care. But heaping um, expectation on a young player is 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 kind of frowned at, isn't it? But David, what a player! What a player he is! I I, I think I I deliberately I remember texting you last year on one of the few occasions that I actually came on the show uh, like for a segment was. Um, was I'd, I'd, I'd messaged you and said, David, I just need to talk about James McAtee. Just <laughs> find, find me a spot. Uh, and then you wrote think, all about I, him as well, I know. I wrote about him as well, yeah. I think I framed it around my my frustrations that Phil Foden was being talked about as a David Silver replacement when this lad is right there. And if you'd have watched any of him from these friendlies, you, you'll see exactly what I was on about. Um, I mean, I suppose a lot of people will have. So if we, if we were to go into the, the potential negatives... You know he's he's short, not really on the slowest side, not really filled his frame out yet, and he seems to really lack when it comes to stamina. There was very few, if any, games last season where he actually lasted the full ninety minutes. So there, so there, obviously, you know, there are bumps in the road. But I don't know if you saw the other, was it? Did, am I imagining it, or did he set a goal up for a dozer the other day, and then uh, Pep did his? Um, tip of the hat gesture towards James <laughs> I mean I mean if he's doing that what a little player so much so much class so much ability so much you know he can see one of the those strange way that some players can see things before they happen and you know I could go on about him all day like his agility and his, his speed of thought the delicacy of his path delicacy is that a word uh, delicateness of his passes <laughs> not, that, not, not in the right context <laughs> delicacy yeah how good his passes are how good his passes are he's, yeah that's uh, the one yeah yeah that's it he is fantastic uh, he's younger than Palmer which you know with, with Pep sometimes are these kids going to get minutes you, you know you're drawing names out of a hat aren't you but he is I want to see him get first team minutes at this point of his career he's so good and he's he's it, you, you do find yourself teetering on the edge of, you know, would he be only this good in, you know, a city style of team? There's kind of no point sending him out on loan. So you've got to throw him into the fire for me. He's, he's that good. He needs to play. 
Yeah, well, uh, one player who uh, has gone out on loan is uh, Liam Delap. Uh, he's moved to Stoke for the season. Um, I don't know mm. if you saw this week as well, Sean, what he'd said uh, when he found out he was playing against Bournemouth for the first time. Uh, his, his, uh, his actual quote was, he said to himself, fucking hell, I'm in the team. Uh, which I think it's just it just added nice nice colour to that uh, that situation. Uh, what yeah. do you make well, of the that's move? Exactly what I've just said. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, it's. I mean, go and make a name for yourself in a team that already knows your name. It's a bit weird, isn't it? But I mean, um, I'd have to see how Stoke are these days. Yeah, you know, and, and the way they play the game and what have you, because there's all those like, negative connotations that come with the Stoke name, which probably aren't true and haven't been true for three years. Who knows? But um, what isn't, I could isn't tell the lap you a bit is, of a battering ram, though, anyway? I was about to say, yeah, and what I could tell you is that boy would fit in in any team in the world. Like, it's, you know, this, his style, let's say. Not, you know, I'm not bigging him up to that level sort of yet, but he um, he is a battering ram. That's quite accurate. So he'd fit in whatever in in sort of whatever stage of of Stokeness they're at at this moment, um, and to be honest, it's it's just good to see him that he'll get some football because I'd imagine he'll play uh, as as well sought after that he was. There's like five or six clubs that were vying for his loan signature or, or whatever it was that was reported. Um, I can only predict good things from that loan spell, uh, and I'm happy to go on record with that. Is this one of those weird situations as well, though? Where, like, like normally when you go out on loan as a city youngster, that's generally the beginning of the end for your city career. But yeah, this feels absolutely. like it might not be. Yeah, yeah. This, I'm hoping that it's hard to like put into words that or to quantify why that is. But I'm hoping that this might be the exception. Um, even you know, thinking back to Zinchenko, whose loan previous to actually playing for City was diabolical. It was awful. I don't think he played a couple of times for PSV's reserves. Um, but this, I mean, I, I suppose it is make and break in a lot of ways, uh, make or break in a lot of ways, but um, like, like I've just said, I can only predict good things from this. Please give us your backing. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. That was our EDS expert, Sean Blinkhorn, there talking to me about the players in pre-season. Uh, now, as you might have realised during that interview, uh, we both got a little bit excited about the prospect of uh, Liam Delap ripping it up for Stoke uh, because uh, we then subsequently discovered that he's not yet joined Stoke. But again, he might have joined Stoke by the time you hear this. So, it's hmm. uh, Kieran, you're an English teacher. Help me out here. What tense am I talking in? Because it's, it's kind of like the future not really happened yet. I don't know what... It, it 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 will have going to have happened, but it hasn't happened yet. Uh, David, you're asking a teacher to speak about teaching during their six week holiday, so I'm afraid I couldn't possibly answer. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's kind of like the 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 perfect future tense or something. Yeah, yeah. I don't um, know what it is, but it, yeah, we we don't know if he's going to Stoke or not yet. We thought he had. Hmm. Um, he might have done by the time you hear this, but he also might have joined somewhere else or might be on the verge of joining somewhere else. Uh, but the same sort of points stand anyway. Um, right, moving on. And uh, it's also been announced that this season there'll be mobile ticketing used at the Etihad. Uh, those without smartphones can order print-at-home tickets so they can have them printed at the ticket office. Uh, and anyone whose phone battery is low when they get to the Etihad can charge their phone in special pods outside um howard what are your thoughts on this to start with uh i'll tread carefully shall i (laughs) i'll be honest i think there's been an overreaction but 
I agree with the general point. There's just no need for this to happen. If I don't, I'm not sure the system was broken before. If it ain't broke. Don't fix it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I just, I think it's going to be carnage and a shambles and mobile tickets, maybe for some and easy for some. And if you want them to bring them in voluntarily, absolutely fine. That's the way it's heading. It's heading with gig tickets and all the other stuff as well. You know, I've just received an email that a gig I'm going to well if it ever happens it's a, it's a mobile one uh, and that's fair enough but to make it for everyone no it's you know the, the club talk about communicating with people and surveys and taking feedback and I'd, they've not thought this one through at all especially with so little time to sort stuff if you by the way you've said it I mean I didn't read the full guidance because look I have got a smartphone and it's not really an issue for me as long as it works when we get to the turnstiles. Now, I would get to the Norwich game about four hours before kickoff, would be my advice. <laughs> uh, I just, so yeah, it doesn't uh, directly concern me. But I mean, take my dad, he doesn't go to matches. Absolutely zero chance he would be able to deal with it's the concept of a mobile ticket on us. He can't deal with the concept of a smartphone. <laughs> the concept of a smart ticket on it. No, just, uh, we're, uh, sorry, a mobile ticket on it, absolutely forget it. Printing at home, no, he's not got a printer. So it's just creating extra work and having to pick up. I mean, if you've seen a ticket order, you shouldn't have to go and pick up a ticket every time you go to the ground. You should be able to walk up to the turnstile and go in the ground, you know, maybe with a bit of a queue. So, look, it was inevitable that mobile tickets would be brought in, but to make it a blanket thing is, for me, not clever. And it's going to end in tears when match day arrives anyway. Yeah, Kieran, um, I mean, th- this is the other thing I was going to come on to. Can we can we just put a public service announcement out there? Can we stop making millennials print things at home? We don't have printers. <laughs> we do not have printers. Shit. That's how it works. <laughs> we spent... We I, spent have, I have, and it costs the ink costs more than my season ticket. So. <laughs> we, we, we've yeah. spent our entire lives living off printing things at work. That's what we do. Mm, exactly, yeah. Um, I, I completely agree with everything Howard said there. Um, I think if you're going to make a blanket change, there should have been a transitional season where you could have opted in yeah. to have uh, to have a, a season card the way it was working. Um, they should have spent the next season testing the waters to see whether it worked or not. And if everybody was on board with it, then make them make the change over. Um, I think after the Super League when. You know the powers that be came out and apologised and held their hands up and said, "We'll take the fans' uh, views on board a lot more and we'll communicate everything a lot better with you from now on." I mean, how long did that last before they've made a change? And it's one of those things where, like, I mean, I've got a smart boat, smartphone. I'm pretty, um, I'm pretty technologically all right. I've even bought a Dufferdanger that kind of like charges my phone on the to- when I'm on the train I can listen to my headphones and charge my phone at the same time just in case it runs out so hang on hang on hang on you've, you've bought a what a Dufferdanger what what a Dufferdanger is that not a thing a Dufferdanger I've, this is that you've made that word up oh my god I it's like a it must be like it must be Northern Irish slang <laughs> that I kind of thought was that I thought was sort of like every everyday parlance. I'm sorry. Is it, uh, is it like a splitter, a, a dual a dual connection? Yeah, yeah, but yeah, it's exactly that. But it's a, a Dufferdanger is like like a thingamajig, <laughs> like when something doesn't have a like 
it does, doesn't have an, a, a formal name. You kind of, like, you know, you call it like, a, you know, like a whatchamacallit or a thingamajig. <laughs> uh, it must be specific to either Northern Ireland or my uncle Sean. Because <laughs> um, that's who I've heard say it. So I've bought, yeah, I bought a little yoke. Um, <laughs> that, that'll charge. Because that's, that's another big thing. Like, people are worried, aren't they, that their phone's not going to charge. Uh, or that they're going to get to the ground and their phone's going to be low on battery and they've, they've had to set up like charging pods at the ground and all of it. I mean, hard nailed it in this first sentence. Like, if it's not broke, don't fix it, you know? Like, why Why are we having all this, like, transfer your information to people over the phone and get it in digital tickets and, you know, just, like, let people opt in for smart cards and let people opt in for digital tickets. I mean, my, like, my dad, speak, hard talked with his dad, but, like, my dad still would never, you know, if he's getting an EasyJet flight, show up with his boarding pass on his phone because he's just got that kind of, like, fear that it's not going to work and it's not going to go wrong. He still has to have it somehow printed out, mm. whether we have to go to, like, the public library or my auntie's house to do it. He still needs it printed. And it 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 adds to that little bit of anxiety, speci- like, specifically for older people or younger people because, you know, little kids who are coming along with their folks to go to the matches... I mean, how is it going to work with, with their tickets and things? I just think when the season cards were working pretty flawlessly, why we couldn't have had like the 20% of people who maybe wanted those still to keep it on, take one year for the club to kind of weigh up whether it's working or not and and then go from there if you want to completely change it that way. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's Jack one of those, isn't it? sort of thing. He's, he's people. Exactly. Yeah. exactly, yeah. But it's, it's one of those, isn't it, where... Like, I'm okay with it because it doesn't directly affect me, but kind of thinking, I don't like thinking that way. I don't want to be an I'm all right Jack kind of person. I want to think about other people who might struggle with this. And sometimes the club, by making a blanket kind of one-size-fits-all policy, forget about those people. And it's not that fair and it's not that friendly and it's not that kind of like, I don't think it's decent PR either. Um, But at the same time, lots of people won't be affected and they're fine about it. And maybe Hard's right when he said it was a bit of an overreaction as well. But I I guess just think of other people. There are little factors that you always need to take into consideration. I think that should be slower. I think it'll be slower at the turnstile as well. Because you're going to get one in five whose phone isn't bright enough or something. Or it flips, you know, and it just won't go through. The card always worked for me. It always worked. Yeah, you put yeah, yeah. it. You can even hold it either way, or you can put it in the slot, and it worked every time. And there'll be people fiddling with phones, and the queues will just get bigger and bigger and bigger now. Karen, one final question on the um, uh, the, the 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 change to mobile ticketing. Um, I, I mean, the one thing this does, they've said all all along that it that it helps people with uh, swapping cards with friends and family, that sort of thing. Um, and to be fair to City, they they are really kind of implementing this uh, this system to be able to swap your ticket and and make it quite easy. Just add somebody to your to your uh, you know accepted friends, and and they can use the ticket instead. Um, so I mean that, that that's kind of a positive move, is it? Um, I mean the. Positive from a fan's point of view with the season cards was that, I mean, if I couldn't make it, I would easily just be able to give it to one of my mates who would then walk in with my ticket. And that's the way it was. Like, as, a, as an Irishman, I have to go home at Christmas. So I often mix the, miss the Boxing Day fixtures and things like that. So I'll give it to one of the boys and they'll bring their brother or uh, wife or whatever along. And I suppose playing devil's advocate a little bit, 
in a COVID situation, you can kind of see what the club have had to do here um, to identify close contacts or, or track and trace people a little bit better. Um, maybe having official documentation of who's got each ticket digitally will allow the club to know exactly who's in the ground at all times. Um, which kind of makes sense from a COVID from a COVID perspective. Um, it's a tiny little bit Big Brother is watching you, and it's a tiny little bit like um, you know they want to be in charge of all aspects. When it was quite nice to just like give your give your card to somebody and allow them to walk in with it and have that peace of mind. Um, again, it's a little bit of a. It's, they argue that it's kind of easier for you now because all you need to do is set up a friends and family account and then add a person to it, and then they've got your card. And it actually saves a little bit of hassle because sometimes meeting up before the game and passing over the card and knowing who's got your card at each time was was a little bit difficult. Uh, so playing devil's advocate, you can kind of see why they've done it. But I mean, as myself and Howard have touched upon already, a, a transitional phase uh, might have made it a bit easier on us. And um, yeah, 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 I mean, a COVID life just means a different life, doesn't it, unfortunately? And lots of things have had to change and we kind of have to like it or lump it in some cases. And maybe this is just one of them, which is annoying. Yeah, well, just on that, um, because obviously it, it looks like vaccine passports seem to be on the cards from about September time. Um, Kieran, the, the, <laughs> the, the, the thought of, of going to the Etihad knowing that everybody there has had both vaccines or is or you know the fact that the majority there have have both vaccines that make you feel more comfortable would it oh david i like i heard howard's kind of sighing as you brought this up <laughs> i've just i've just punched the air going he's asked Kevin. <laughs> whatever, you say, whatever, whatever you say now <laughs> is going to annoy someone yeah um yeah how to approach this one? I mean, I'm I'm double jabbed. Uh, most people that I know are double jabbed. Um, I do sort of believe in freedom of choice, and if you didn't want to get jabbed, then it's sort of up that, to that, you. That's your right to choose that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of thing. Um, a lot of the people who go to the ground are younger people, and th- th- it won't even have come around to their cycle of vaccination yet. Um, so there, there will be a proportion of people through choice or through just like policy haven't haven't got jabbed yet or might not ever get choose to get jabbed. Um, the passport thing is a little bit or a little bit draconian, um, and I don't fully think I agree with that. Uh, God, you've really thrown me down a minefield here. Um, <laughs> Well, well let, let, let me let me just say. Um, I mean, to, just to add to that, Howard, what do you think? <laughs> oh. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> to be honest, he, okay, he's, he's said he's nothing to add. He's absolutely covered it comprehensively. So. <laughs> uh, now you have the freedom of choice not to have the va- uh, vaccination, and you have consequences that go with that. That places might not let you in. If the club decide you need to be double jabbed to go in, I'm absolutely all for it. And yes, I would feel safer uh, being around people. And it's not the sitting in the seat, it's going in and out when you're really, you know, mm-hmm. danger, so to speak. There are always caveats, of course, children and certain younger age groups might not have a chance of being vaccinated. And there are those uh, minority of the population who can't, who it's actually more dangerous to have vaccination. So there are exemptions, not just blanket blanket but generally 
if you are, you know, could have had one and chose not to. I played badminton with someone last night who was triumphantly telling us, the other three, that he hadn't had them and didn't know what was going into him, even though I'm sure he's had plenty of stuff go, you know, put into his body in the last few months that he didn't know what was in it uh, <laughs> without uh, going into too much detail. And you, you've I, not named names, you're all right. There's no libel going on here. And he's not a City <laughs> fan. And, yeah, I was ready to walk off the court, to be honest, because I felt that my health is at risk there if, you know... Yeah. Sweated and blowing, uh, breathing heavily, and he's just like proud of the fact. So it's his choice not to have it, and it's my choice not to play badminton with him ever again. So did, yeah, did that, you that's it. Everyone, that's it. We've all made our decisions, and I understand the club taking this decision. It is a difficult situation, though. So I'm not going. You know, don't take anything I say too seriously. That's just my opinion, and everyone has them, and. There are alternatives, of course, just yeah, having to have, have a test or if you've not been vaccinated. But again, that's costly. It's it's laborious time. It takes up time. So it's, it's a difficult situation, is it not? But I think there's a health and safety aspect that City have a duty of care, and I'm mm-hmm. not sure they have much alternative. Yeah. What are the clubs saying about it, David? Uh, well, it's it'll be Premier League policy. It won't be uh, well. It'll be government policy. Actually, it won't be anything to do with yeah, uh, so specifically City or, City, or the Premier it, League. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But government policy seems at the minute it's just like everything's open and we've we've had Freedom Day, quote unquote, and um, case numbers are going down and all of that. And the match is taking place for the most part outside. It is the concourse that you need to be that you need to be worried about and concerned about and maybe maybe having your mask still with you for the concourse is a good idea and it'll, it'll keep you safe and it'll give you that peace of mind um but yeah it's, it's a real it is a it, it's something you know the decision makers and the powers that be are are laboring over the point i mean it's, it's very difficult for three blokes on a podcast to kind of give their you know enter the enter the minefield of it well, it is, it is for all events, is it not? Because I'm going to see Peter Kay on Saturday and I, I can't get into there. First time I've been inside, probably, you know, to, right. into a theatre. I can't go in unless I've got that passport or oh, okay. proof of negative theft. And if, and if I've got a problem with that, I don't go to the gig. So it's simple as that. So, yeah, mm. it, it is what it is and it's a, it's for all events. So, yeah, it's not for City's hierarchy to decide, is it? So. Yeah, just just a quick one on on that as well. We we both decide to keep wearing your mask inside the ground if if that if that makes you feel a bit better. Yeah, I on think I will. On the way to my seat, yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing is, I mean, I, I love a pint at half time, and I love you know the people that I meet up with from mm. all around in the area. I love meeting up with them, and you know, we'll be. It's one of them, isn't it? Where the mask does make you feel comfortable and a little bit safer, and it does sort of beam a message out to others that I'm willing to work on this part, like, and I'm willing to kind of try to keep everybody safe and, you know, I'm getting on board with the the, um, the kind of public health idea. But, I mean, you'd be taking it off. Everybody will be drinking their dark fruits and, and uh, watery pints and you'll just be kind of, <laughs> you, you, you'll just be sort of like gabbing to each other. People who you haven't seen for the most part in what, like, a year, a year and a half, yeah. eighteen months, yeah, and it'd be like lovely to see them again and catch up. Um, you'll be, you know, there'll be beers will have been drunk, and you're kind of like buzzy, happy side of your brain sometimes defeats the responsibility side of your brain, and you know, you you do kind of let yourself become a bit lax in those moments, and 
so it, it's one of them where it's a lot to ask for us to to still be safe and to still have the mask on but for, yeah for peace of mind where possible and yeah on on my way to and from my seat i think i'll be keeping it on but um I, it kind of becomes a bit of a nonsense when you're taking it off to be drinking you know yeah. so kieran your your season ticket is in the south stand isn't it yeah uh, because I wanted to ask you about this, because rail seating's been installed in the South Stand for the start of this season. Um, are you kind of uh, you kind of in- encouraged at the thought of, uh, of of standing being an option at Premier League games in years to come? I love it, really, really love it. Yeah. Um, to be honest with you, David, where we stand, where we sit, we stand anyway. The whole of that area, um, either side of the away fans in the South Stand, that stand up the whole entire game, uh, and it's never been an issue. So, I mean, the logical conclusion was to put these railings in, um, but it's just it just suggests that atmosphere is being put first, and I mean, the clues in the name, isn't it? Safe standing. Um, I almost I always remember reading up on this and looking at the government ministers who were sort of making the decisions about this. Then they just thought it had it had worrying consequences written all over it, but no, it's not. It's really safe. Um, it allows people enough room, enough space. Again, choice, and um, the area is the atmosphere just really, really benefits from it. And I think maybe this is the perfect time as well. When I mean, I imagine stadiums won't return to full capacity straight away because of things like passports or things like um, pe- pe- people being a bit. Uh, fearful. I mean, a couple of our friends have decided to defer their tickets or have decided that they don't feel comfortable enough or that their heart's just not in the game as much anymore, haven't had this break. So they're they're not going back this season. So maybe maybe this standing will be of benefit to uh, to the game just because it will sh- it will show an improvement in atmosphere. Yeah, no, I'm I'm really delighted. I can't. I'm actually really looking forward to getting to my seat and seeing. The impact and what it looks like and what it feels like when I get there. Yeah, I'm I'm I'm, I'm dead excited for it. Yeah. Howard, I don't know about you, but um, you know, with my back, I can't think of anything worse than standing up for ninety minutes. <laughs> no, well, I'm in the third tier of the South Stand, so I'm safe. So, <laughs> uh, no, it should have happened fifteen years ago. So. Yeah, nothing more to say really. I mean, don't, don't even know why it's called safe standing. It's called standing. That's what it is. Yeah, it's standing safely. Yeah. We do know why, because it's you have to persuade you know various groups and the government that mm-hmm. you know this is the way forward. But it obviously isn't a, a risk. It's not a terrace like the old days. Everyone is in their set spot. It, absolutely zero reason why it's not being incorporated into all grounds right now for cheaper seating. Uh, youngsters will, you know, I think it will keep a lot of them going to the, the game. It'll be better for atmosphere, and we should just make the entire north stand. Kick out the family stand, make the entire North Stand, uh, yeah. you know, something like Dortmund, like just cheap rail uh, seating or whatever, standing or whatever it's called. So, yeah. turf out uh, the families. That's what I'm not being says. totally serious about the North Stand. <laughs> that will annoy people now, but I think we do really need, you know, an entire well, not an a stand, at yeah. least half a stand of it, basically for atmosphere. Yeah. You see stats pop up all the time about clubs and players, and you want to know that exact thing about City. There's an answer. StatCity.co.uk Want to find out all of the players who played alongside club legends like David Silva, Sergio Aguero or Vincent Company? 
Or maybe you'd like to know which team found it hardest to score past Joe Hart. You can find out City's record in every competition, at every stadium and under every manager. Just go to statscity.co.uk and browse away. That's statscity.co.uk. The Olympics in Tokyo are coming to an end this week. Uh, When it comes to City connections and the games, there are plenty of players who have won medals in the football, with the likes of Sergio Aguero, Pablo Zabaleta and Carlos Tevez taking gold for Argentina, or Joe Danilo or Gabriel Jesus taking bronze, silver and gold respectively for Brazil. It's not limited to the men either, as Janine Beckett, Kosovori Aslani and Carly Lloyd are just some of the examples of players winning medals in the women's football. But there's one name that doesn't get talked about enough when it comes to sporting achievements and City. We've got to go back to the Antwerp Olympics in 1920, but then City player Max Woosnam won gold in the men's doubles tennis and silver in the mixed doubles tennis. There may be others, but as far as we can tell, he's the only City player, current, former or future, to have had an Olympic medal in a sport that wasn't football. I've been speaking to Mick Collins, who wrote a biography on Max Woosnam, to find out more about how much of a sporting great he was. He did everything, and and I know people use all those sort of phrases quite lightly nowadays. Um, he captained City, obviously. He captained, he captained England. Um, he won Wimbledon, won the doubles at Wimbledon. He captained uh, Great Britain in the Davis Cup. He won a gold medal at tennis. Uh, he scored a century at cricket at Lords. Um, he played golf off scratch. Um, he fought in the trenches. Um, he was a survivor of the First World War. Um, and I suppose most infamously, he once legend has it, beat Charlie Chaplin at table tennis while Max played using a button knife rather than a bat. Um, he could do everything. That I mean, that uh, that last one was, I mean, legendarily, it's his party piece, wasn't it? That he was so good that he could just pick up a, a, a butter knife and use that instead. Yeah, apparently after the Great British side had gone to the Davis Cup in the sort of like the early 20s, um, Chaplin was a huge tennis fan and he invited the team over. I, th- I think... Charlie had quite an advanced sense of sort of like, you know, being around the in crowd. Um, and they were obviously, you know, playing in the Davis Cup. There, there was a lot to be gathered from Charlie being seen with them. So he invited them all to his mansion. And uh, Max played table tennis against him, got bored of beating him with a normal bat. So switched his bat for a butter knife and beat Charlie, which put, by all, by all accounts, put Chaplin in a bad mood for a start. Um, and then when Chaplin stood by the side of his pool to say, thank you very much for everyone coming, uh, Max thought everything would be livened up if he picked him up and threw him in. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, he was he was a character, was Max, it's safe to say. But, um, yes, he could do everything. There was There was very little he couldn't do. He was one of those people in another world would have been annoyingly good. Yeah, I mean, just looking back at his uh, his city career as well, he, he you know he made his city debut in in uh, actually on the on the first of January nineteen twenty uh, at Hyde Road. He was an amateur player um, and obviously went on to captain City and uh, as an amateur player, that's that's unusual. Why why did he never turn professional? Do you know? He had this really deep set belief that um, he didn't condemn anyone else for earning a living from sport. But he never felt that it was somehow sort of proper to earn your living from playing sport. He thought it somehow took away from the sportsmanship of it, or at least as far as he felt for himself, it felt improper sort of thing. Um, and so he never earned he, I mean, he ended up on the board of ICI. So he was clearly sort of quite good in business and he knew his way around to make his living other ways. 
Um, but he was quite happy to play alongside professionals. He had no trouble with anyone else earning their living from it. It just wasn't for him. I think he, he thought it was a little bit boastful, if you like, to attach some kind of value to what you were worth. It, it wasn't what Max was about. So, yeah, he played. It was a tremendous, I think in many ways, it was a tremendous credit to him that, that the professionals at City wanted him, an amateur, to be their captain. Yeah, and he was uh, he was he, he was the captain for the first game at Main Road in uh, in 1923 as well. Uh, and it was while he was at City that he he won the gold and uh, and silver in the doubles and mixed doubles tennis at uh, at the 1920 Olympics. So, I mean, when you, when you come to think of, of footballers that have won medals in other sports, there can't be that many. So, I mean, that that already sets him apart from others. I think that the the, the one thing I sort of realised when I started sort of trying to research Max and find his backstory is that it was impossible to think of him in terms like anyone else. He was just different. Everything he achieved was so different to everyone else. And he he say, he he had a really deep-rooted belief that you didn't publicise yourself, which is really, really annoying when 90 years later you're trying to piece together someone's history. <laughs> you, you do wish he'd given a couple more interviews, but he thought giving interviews would have been terribly big-headed, so he didn't. Yeah, he, uh, there's there's also a rumour that he made a 147 break. Do you know if that, have we ever been able to kind of uh, confirm that? <clears throat> no, I know he made a century break and um, I think people may have got um, a, a little carried away claiming it was a, a, a 147. I mean, it wouldn't have surprised me, but I, I, when we didn't find any actual evidence of that and I did manage to find evidence of everything else he did. Um, I think there was... There is a slight problem with Max that after a while, whatever he did, people just assumed, you know, if he'd run a marathon, people would have claimed he'd done it in under two hours. Uh, it was easier to stick to the stuff we could actually prove. But he scored a century at snooker. We know that much. Yeah. Why Why do we not know that much about him anymore? Why is he kind of like this This great sportsman? Why is he fallen out of, of, uh, of kind of folklore? I think because of his modesty at the time, because there weren't many interviews. I also think... Um, and this sounds very simplistic. He he lived in an era when the press was very regionalised and his various successes happened in different places. And it was more difficult to gather together things centrally in those days. Had there been the internet, he'd have been a phenomena. But as it was, he was playing football at City. He was playing tennis at Wimbledon and he was playing, you know, cricket at Lord's. And they were separate worlds. And when you go to research him, you discover that you've got to go. I had to go to the All England Club to find out about his tennis career. Um, the people at City were fantastically helpful finding out about his football career. Um, but everything was quite disparate. There was no central point. If he'd have given lots of interviews about himself, there'd have been something to gather all the strands together. But as, as he didn't, it was almost like history put his various successes into different boxes and over the years those boxes never you know never got put together they got separated rather than gathered together yeah do you think his do you think the fact that he was a bus driver wasn't he in the in the general strike um does does that have any impact do you think culturally i think so i mean it was clearly the great blot on his copybook um it wasn't so much that he was a bus driver he was a member of management at this large chemical firm he ran and um there was a bus needed shifting and he had as I, 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 I met his daughter, who was very elderly then, and his, his daughter just said, well, he had a sense that things must just get done 
So he just did it, which is sort of fine to apply that logic to football and sport, but probably not great to apply it to a general strike. Um, I don't think he actually seriously thought about what he was doing. He drove a bus. Um, but in doing so, clearly he alienated himself and arguably, rightly so, to, to a huge proportion of the working class people who had idolised him up to that point. Um, I think in some ways that sort of sense of don't think twice, just do it, that made him so successful as a sportsman probably didn't make him a great diplomat or politician. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. That was Mick Collins uh, speaking to me about uh, the legendary City player Max Woosnam. Now it's time to look ahead to uh, this weekend's Community Shield, which has taken me by surprise because uh, I, I was convinced it was on Sunday, but apparently it's on Saturday <laughs> at 5.15, but here we go. Hmm. Uh, I'm delighted as well to be joined uh, by Neil from Beyond the 90, the Leicester City Show. Uh, hi, Neil. How are you guys doing? Not too bad, thank you. Um, let's start with you, Neil, because uh, what shape are Leicester in at the moment after the summer and after the internationals, that sort of thing? Yeah, we're in a we're in a well until yesterday, we're pretty good shape to be honest. Um, we're still lacking a right winger and a centre back, and then we've just lost Wesley Fofana, which was an absolute massive devastation. He's one of our young players. Oh, we've got quite a few of them, but one of our young, talented centre backs is going to push on, and he's out for I think six to three months now, six weeks to three months. Um, at a minimum, so it's not looking good. Uh, but honestly, attacking-wise, the field-wise, plenty of options. Defensively, I think we're a bit quaking our boots, to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah, well, uh, Kieran, just looking at uh, how City could set up for this one, uh, because Guardiola said that he said already that he'll field uh, a second team, which may well be mainly under-23s for the game, uh, largely because a lot of the players return late from the Euros or they've not had much of a pre-season. Um, Guardiola's not one to usually play mind games, but do you believe him on this? Um, I sort of do believe him on this because when you look at who we have a bit available after the international break and after the holidays that the players have been on, I mean, none of the England players are even back yet. So um, it looks as though, yeah, you should be able to take one face value. Um, the three friendlies that we've had in the past two weeks um, has been a good mix of fresh, uh, freshly returned first team players and a youth team set up. So I think, yeah, I think Saturday sh- should see a similar pattern to that as, as much as possible. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Howard, the, like, like uh, Kieran said there, the, uh, the, the the City's England players are not, not going to be involved. They're officially back, I think, on the day of the game. So you're not going to see Raheem Sterling, John Stones, Carl Walker, those sorts of players. Um, but like you've, you've got the likes of Nathan Ake and, and Ruben Diaz and Fernandinho who have been back in for pre-season. Do you think they'll get kind of much-needed minutes? Because they'll be needed at the start of the season, won't they? Yeah, well, we've seen a few senior players already get the minutes in previous friendlies. Uh, but it, it is still worrying. I mean, Kevin De Bruyne's obviously not stepped on the pitch yet either. Uh, there's other players, you know, sort of Bernardo Silva. It's worrying if, if Pep Guardiola is true to his word. And I think he will be, at least with the starting lineup. So I don't know, you know, I think obviously it's a game. It doesn't matter. <laughs> the community shit, let's be mm. honest, that much. Uh, so my concern is just getting fitness into as many senior players as possible because my worry is not this match, it's the Spurs match. And it's the fact that City have got a you know, pretty tough opening six weeks or so to the season again. And they got away with it last season, a slow start and no pre-season. But does it mean they'll get away with it again in what will be a very competitive league? So... 
I'm, I'm just hoping that over the 90 minutes, even for 20 minutes, you see someone like Kevin De Bruyne and we're not going to see any England players for that Spurs match. So uh, we've still got such strength in depth that we can put a very good team out, but they've got to get match fit in the, the meantime. And I am quite concerned that there's just a lot of senior players that will just not be in a position to start that match against Spurs. Yeah, Neil. When when it comes to Leicester, I mean, Howard said there that uh, this game doesn't really matter. Um, do you do you guys view it the same way? Because it's it's kind of like the 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 cup that you only qualify for by being good the previous season. Yeah, um, we do uh, because we don't win everything every year. To be perfectly honest <laughs> with you, it's a it's a big it'll be a big deal for us because I know with the top teams like yourselves and your Man United's and Liverpool's, it doesn't really mean anything. However. If it's a chance to get silverware, bearing in mind over the last, I think that obviously we won the Premier League, won the FA Cup, and this would be a, another piece of silverware that we'd like to get. We played in, obviously, when we won the league in against Man United and lost, so we didn't manage to win it then. And I think Brendan Rodgers has the mentality, you go for it. You have the opportunity to it, you go for it. Um, we are lacking, I think, obviously we're in a stronger position than you guys, but um, there'll be certain players that are going to be out of it. So certain key players, in my opinion, but the majority of the squad is back. I think we've got five injuries in total now. Yeah. How's, how's the transfer business been for Leicester this summer? Has there, has there been much activity? So, yes, there's been three transfers. Um, so far, no major player has left, which normally we get criticised for um, selling a big player on every year. Uh, but as of, as of recording, we haven't we haven't actually sold anybody. Uh, we've got Dakar in, who is... Um, he's got lots of Leicester fans really excited. He's a very Jamie Vardy-esque type of player, but taller, better with his head. Um, one of the most talented don't, players in Europe. Don't say um, this. City, City infamously struggle with Vardy anyway. So all <laughs> we what we need now is a younger, faster, quicker version of him. All, that's just the worst thing in my mind. <laughs> it, I can lie to you and say, yeah, he's terrible. Um, but, but just just for the weekend. Uh, but yes, um, so yeah, he's he's looking fantastic because I know Jamie Vardy. Again, it's, it's one of those things where again he does do well. But however, I think from speaking to some City fans, it's like, oh yeah, Leicester do well against us. I think at times you've drummed us a few times as well over the years. So it's not just been kind of all all one sided. But anyway, come back to the the transfer thing. A transfer business. Um, Samore, who's been um, one of the won the league with Lille, is a really good central def- central midfielder, kind of box to box kind of player. He'll be one to look out for, but I doubt Dakar Vardy and the last one, probably Ryan Bertrand, who's probably the most favoured to play um, on that left hand side because of we've got an experienced inexperienced centre backs. We need Ricardo probably on that left hand side, right hand side, and Ryan Bertrand, who's one of our free transfers from Southampton, who looked fantastic against the Villarreal match. So you're probably most likely to see on that left Ryan Bertrand start for Leicester. Um, he's been great in preseason, like really showed his his experience and knowledge and directing players already, which is fantastic. But they're the three transfers, the most yeah, the, but the most likely one you'll see. You'll may, maybe see um, Pats and Dakar at, say, 30 minutes, but probably Ryan Bertrand to start the match. Yeah. Um, Kieran, when you think of, of uh, Leicester City as uh, as an opponent for City, um, I, I, I'm not going to lie, I get cold sweats sometimes thinking about them closing in on goal because they, they always seem to break through City quite easily. And then you flip it around, like Neil's just said, there's a couple of times where City have actually, you know, they've taken Leicester on and they've given them a, a right good drubbing as well. Um is this is, is the possibility that there's just no chance of a tight game then at the weekend? Um, One of these sides I, is going to get a battering. We just don't know who it yeah. is. <laughs> uh, well, I, I yeah, I do get cold sweats. Playing Leicester always unnerves me. 
Um, I mean, the Leicester title winning season, they they really had her pants down. And then, <laughs> like, last season, the 5-2. The was it 5-2 or 5-1? 5-2, yeah. 5-2. Um, a little bit more dignity than 5-1. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I'm actually physically sweating now talking about it. It really, like, it, it built me up. Um, and then Pep seemed to shore up and shut up shop a little bit better in the uh, return fixture last season. I think Mendy scored against Leicester, didn't he? Um, yeah, so... I, I do I, I do just because of like ring rust a little bit, I envision a tight game at the weekend. Um but throughout the season it wouldn't surprise like it's funny, isn't it? Because it's either a drubbing or a tight game and I mean you'll never you'll never forget uh company at the end of eighteen nineteen against Leicester. There always seems to be like a talking point really. Uh so it's interesting to be playing them in you know a, a it's a funny one because it's not a big game, but like their silverware on the line as well. So it'll be funny to see their approach with a little bit of rustiness, with not their full quota back, um, with the injury that Leicester sustained last night, uh, with transfers bedding in, with youth players playing. Uh, it's, bottom line is, David, I'm sorry, but it's really, really hard to call. So I'm going to give a really, <laughs> really gutless on the fence answer uh, to conclude. That's okay. Don't worry about it. Um, Howard, uh, in terms of, uh, of first team players that are back for City, um, is there anybody that you think needs to have a good game? Because they, they they maybe need to step up from last season or didn't get too many opportunities last season. Ah, the, the name I had in mind was, it's not back yet, so... <laughs> Are we allowed to mention any squad member or just those available this weekend? I would say those available this weekend because let's be honest, like John Stones, for instance, isn't going to have a good game against Leicester because he's not going to be there. <laughs> I, yeah, I thought you know she just meant ne- next season, basically. Uh, okay, can you ask, can you answer if Ferran Torres is likely to get near the pitch? I honestly couldn't tell you, mate. I'm not. I'm not going to lie. If he does, then great. If he doesn't, then uh, then you look a fool. So uh, how, yeah, how, well. how, do you, how do you want to play this? <laughs> <laughs> I think people are used to the uh, the, the latter option anyway. So uh, I would say the two signings we made the previous summer. So Nathan Ake is going to get, I mean, he got game time at the beginning of last season, uh, unfortunately, on the pitch for the 5-2 uh, debacle, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. He did score, so, though, didn't he? Yeah. He did, yeah, yeah. Did it matter, though? <laughs> I, I think he preferred him not to have conceded five goals. But, yeah, that's uh, true. <laughs> uh, so him and Ferran Torres, who, you know, he does it at international level, but got COVID last season and, you know, was top scorer in the group stage of the Champions League, but after getting ill, kind of up and down, I think you've got to look at that second season thing with Pep and I want those two to advance. And, you know, Nathan Ake is still, I think, kind of forgotten player in a way, but I think, yeah, it's a £14 million signing. I think he's a classy player. He might not be our first choice defender, but I'd love to see him put in a good performance against Leicester and then... I feel a bit more confidence going into the league season because, you know, with John Stones not being there and Amy Laporte, I don't know what the situation with Laporte. So does he want to go? Is he, is he, or is it rubbish or is he ready to, to start the season with City and is fully fit? I don't know, but we might really need Ake in the opening weeks of the season. Yeah. Neil, um, just looking at uh, at the season as a whole for Leicester, um, what's the objective this year? Is this, is this the year that, uh, that that you make it into the top four at the uh, at the end? Because you've been pipped in the last couple of seasons. We're hoping so. 
We, we we really are, but at the same time, again, the likes of you guys looking to strengthen, uh, Man United have strengthened. But the thing, the thing is, it's the, the way I always say to players: just write us off, um, just write us off, and then we'll do our business again. Missing out on the on Champions League spaces two years in a row is just annoying. However. Mm. You've got to look at the other side and go, look, we've got a young team full of vigour with a manager that knows what he's doing. However, to try and even compete with the likes of Liverpool, with the likes of Chelsea, with the likes of yourselves, with, as, you, as you guys were saying, with the squad depth that you have, is trying to compete on that level is always going to be hard um, with has the it, smaller has been, budget. Has it been the squad depth that's been the problem the last couple of years? Y- Squad depth and last year especially injuries. Um, because, for example, look at, look at the moment. So we've lost... Um, Johnny Evans is not going to play. He's got um, plantar fasciitis. I've been trying to pronounce that correctly, <laughs> but I'm not intelligent enough to know how to and don't really know that much about the body, to be honest. Um, and this, and obviously, where's Vafana last night? That's decimated our back line. So all we've got now is Charles Yonju is decent enough, but he needs that experience of Johnny Evans. And then maybe you're looking at a... Daniel Amate, um, part, so who's been with us since 2016. However... He's one of those bit part players that can play in centre mid, um, on the on the wing, right back, centre back. So, and he's not really that Premier League standard that can fill in and get us top four. If you go further down than that, you're looking at players with zero Premier League caps. So, just from them two injuries, we're looking at that. Just for that centre midfield, centre back position. Sorry, we are kind of ruined out of just two positions. So it shows you in terms of that squad depth, especially in terms of the winger position and the centre-back position, we are definitely light. Yeah, uh, you can uh, you can see it now, can't you? Leicester 5, City 1 on the incoming. Um, uh, let's, uh, let, let's get some uh, predictions on the line. After raising more than £5,000 for the Christie in the last five seasons, we're changing tact for the charity bet this year. Uh, we're raising money for the Trussell Trust, a charity working to help those who are living in food poverty. The money will go to supporting the 19 food banks currently operating in Greater Manchester. Each of us is getting a £10 correct score single from William Hill. Um... Howard, let's start with you. What uh, what scoreline have you got for this one? Well, to continue the theme of having no idea who's stepping out on the pitch, <laughs> I've just gone for the most boring prediction of one all. One all is eleven to two and uh, fifty five pounds. If you're right, Kieran, where are you? Uh, where are you heading for this one? Let's let's see how you're sitting on the fence. Deals with this, shall we? Yeah. Well, <laughs> would would you believe that I originally said one one, but Harvard already got it. <laughs> so I've just gone for two one. Uh, two one is uh, seven to one and seventy pounds. Uh, Neil, where's uh, where's your thoughts for this one? So I went a little bit more. Um... Brave. I've said 3-2 to Leicester because you always have to back your own team. Um, I think it's going to be a tough game. Um, but I think defensively we are weak. Um, defensively you guys are strong, but you're playing your second team. So I think, again, the old cliche of maybe it's won, won and lost in the midfield. Uh, but I think, yeah, 3-2 potentially. Uh, well, if you're right, it'll come in uh, with £280 because it's 28 to 1. Um, and that'll be a great start to the season for us on the charity. But hmm. uh, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. Please gamble responsibly. And if you'd like more information on how to gamble responsibly, have a look at begambleaware.org. Uh, Neil, thank you very much for, for joining us today. Thank you. No, thank you for having me. It's been a really good chat with you guys. And um, apart from this, best of luck for the rest of the season. And po- hmm. uh, apart from when we play each other again. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, time to move on. And uh, up until Yaya Torre's winner against Stoke in the FA Cup final in 2011, Peter Barnes, along with Dennis Stewart, were the last players that scored in a City trophy triumph at Wembley. Over the summer, Peter Barnes's authorised biography was released, written by football historian Dr Gary James. He's been speaking to Barnes about the book and about his career. The football side, a good experience, you know, and all the great times I had with great players, you know, the lads I played with at, at City and West Brom, you know, me and Gary together at West Brom, and of course, leaving West Brom, joining Leeds and the downside there, getting relegated the first year, losing my England place after five years. It was a whole path, passage of uh, passage of my career, and ups and the highs and lows, if you like, of football, and coming out of the game, you know, moving from big houses to nothing, living in the box room of my mother's house, and a whole lifespan of different experiences, good and bad. But I'd say football terms, it was a great experience playing for, for great clubs like Man City and, and England, you know, making my debut as a young man at 19 years of age. And obviously this last, we started this beginning of last year, sort of end of the year before really, yeah. and everything went <clears throat> well and then Covid struck. Um, it's been unbelievable. I suppose it's brought home the fact that we've lost Glyn and Colin yeah. and others, Derek Partridge as well. I suppose that brings it home to really how important it is to actually get those stories out as well. Absolutely. It tells you how life, how, how, how precious life is. And we think, what a horrendous to start this before we knew what was going to happen, start the book before COVID and the corona and the pandemic came out. You know, it was horrendous. 126,000 people passed away. And what a horrendous year it's been. It's been like a hidden war, hasn't it? You know, um, tells you how precious life is. And like you say, I went to Glimpardo's funeral. I'd seen him again probably February last year before he died. And he passed away in June just before his birthday. And of course, Colin Bell's passing away. You know, I won't see those lads again on match days, which I'd always see when I went to the Etihad with the lads. It'd very sad. It'd be very strange not to see Colin's face anymore or Glimpardo. Yeah. You know, so it has been a very sad year for that for that reason. Yeah, and when we started this out, we were talking about it's great we can celebrate fans in stadiums the football that City's playing is incredible mm. and all of that and then it doesn't you... seem the game same to me watching games behind closed doors it's like a practice match and mm. no no atmosphere working very hard for the players to play in situations where there's no crowds watching them it's mm. been very very strange what do you hope people get out of the book um, you know I, for me I think it's a lot about reminding people of how football was in the 70s and 80s and um, 90s, if you like, but, you know, um, reminding people that City were a giant or were a giant, that we had bad yeah. years in the 80s and 90s, but when you were first playing for City, they were, at the, in terms of status, were right at the elite, weren't they? Absolutely. I mean, I was lucky enough for playing a good team in the mid-70s and, um, you know, probably the last team that was in Europe compared to today. You know, playing against Borussia Mönchengladbach in the quarterfinals and, and Juventuses and AC Milan's were good sides in those days. Absolutely. With seven, eight internationals in the team and mm. you could tackle in those days and you still got the scars to show for it. <laughs> but um, no, how the game was in those days. Um, we didn't get the money the players got today, but we, we still got well looked after. But it was just a different game. More, more, I think more local lads playing for your team. More Manchester lads in the side both at City and United, lads have come up through the junior ranks. And we're all, you know, in, in my team, in City's team, there's six, seven local Manchester lads in the same team, which was how it was at different clubs around the country in those days. Local lads playing for you, the team you supported. This 
is the Blue Moon Podcast. That was Gary James speaking to Peter Barnes. Uh, if you'd like to get a copy of the book, then you can have a look at Gary's Twitter feed. He's at Gary James Writer, or you can order from his website, gjfootballarchive.com. Uh, now, normally at this point in the show, we'd answer some of your questions, but with this being the first episode of the new season, the inbox is empty. So get sending them in for next week. You can do it on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. You can email us through the website, bluemoonpodcast.com. We're also on Instagram as well. Just search for Blue Moon Podcast there. Uh, so in the meantime, I just want to ask you guys some quick fire questions. One sentence answers, please, because we uh, we don't have a lot of time. Um, Kieran, I'm going to start with you. Who's going to win the title and why? Uh, I hate saying City because I just think it jinxes us, so I'm going to go for Chelsea. Uh, Tuchel seems to have Pep's number a little bit, so uh, but this is all reverse psychology, hoping that City will win it. You said exactly the same thing last season because I went back to have a listen. Uh, Howard, what do you think? <laughs> exactly the same. Superstition. Never back City for anything. It's going to be Chelsea. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Howard, who will be City's top scorer this season? Oh, Harry Kane. Ha- oh, what a <laughs> shout. Uh, Kieran? <laughs> uh, Riyad Mahrez. Excellent. Uh, which City player will be the surprise of the season and why, Kieran? Uh, oh, shit. Um, Zinchenko. He'll uh, hold down the left-back position and, and really fly with it. Excellent. Howard? Uh, Ferran Torres is going to get over 20 goals. Easy. Hmm. Good stuff. Uh, over 20 goals and not the top scorer. Excellent. Um, Howard, <laughs> uh, which which player needs a good season and why? Uh, Raheem Sterling, and he will have. He'll carry on his England form. Uh, Kieran? Uh, Jao Cancelo. Um, I think his first season was a bit hit and miss. He showed what he could do last season. Uh but then tapered off a little bit towards the end of last season. So I think he needs a good one in this coming season. Yeah, and the absolute final question, Kieran, you're going first, so brace yourself. Which member of the podcast team will win the most money on the charity bet this season? Um, I foresee a few six ones, so I'm going to say KC, because that's the score (laughs) he always picks. (laughs) Howard? Can I ask who was on the most last season? Uh, You can, but I don't know the answer. (laughs) (laughs) I'll go for Kieran then. <laughs> Excellent. I, again, the, the two panellists last season did this, and Kieran, you were one of them. Nobody said me, and I'm on every single bloody show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was thinking of you, David, but you normally give the guest opposition fan the uh, the, the, the chance to have a guest, don't you? So yeah. that's why I didn't say you, so please don't be offended. That, that is true. I will, uh, <laughs> I, I will take your grovelling apology, so uh, thank you very much. <laughs> Uh, well, that brings this first Blue Moon podcast of the season to a close. Thank you very much for listening. If you've enjoyed it, don't forget to subscribe and give us a rating and a review in all the usual places. If you haven't enjoyed it, then don't worry about that. But uh, our Patreon bonus show is back too. But this season, it's being released on Mondays. The first show is already out from earlier in the week, and it's a brand new format called City Heaven, City Hell. That's where me and a guest reflect on two positive and two negative results with one opponent helped by a fan of that team as well. We've got some other formats as well coming up. You can get all of those shows plus the main podcast completely ad free by becoming a backer just go to patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast to sign up special thanks to my guests this week howard hocking uh, pleasure and kieran murray cheers blue thanks for having me on i'll be back next week to preview the trip to spurs so i'll see you then the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show.
patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast.